Garbage is Served is a not-safe-for-work podcast addressing controversial topics in the U.S., like baby boomer fragility and abstinence-only education that are guaranteed to ruin your family dinners. Each episode focuses on some of your family's regrettable misconceptions that your hosts, Jesse and Keeley, take to task. Keely! Uh, I'm so happy to be here with you today. What are we going to talk about? Oh my god, today we are talking about multi-level marketing. Woo! I don't remember how we decided that this is what we wanted to talk about today. I think we're both just like feeling really hopeless in this world right now. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, let's talk about things that are serious, but like mix them up with things that are fun. And I guess... Maybe MLMs was like the best of both worlds. <laughs> that story rings true to my understanding of why we are talking about MLMs today. But I do feel, I did feel a little depressed as I was doing my research for today's episode. But it's not time to talk about that research yet. I first want to know, Jesse, what is your experience with MLMs and maybe like general feelings that you have about them. Yeah, so I guess I don't have tons of experience with MLMs. I definitely remember like friends, parents selling Mary Kay shit back when I was in high school and whatnot, but like I never bought any of it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge part of my world. Um, and I just, I, I feel like most MLMs don't sell things that I want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being as we are in the age of technology, I don't really get the point. <laughs> are you saying that because of technology, you know that these products don't work or that there are better products? What do you mean by that? There's so much instant gratification that MLMs are like, oh, I have to go through a person to buy a thing when I could just not do that and still get the thing. Like, it just seems like completely unnecessary to engage in MLMs in any shape or form in my life. I will say though that um, a couple years ago I went to the Vegan Mania in Chicago and I like to enter myself into raffles. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love knowing this about you. <laughs> I like I will always enter into raffles if I can just because I'm like, I don't know, like maybe one day I'll like win something. Who the fuck knows? I mean, I have quote unquote one like free airline tickets, which is definitely a scam. And <laughs> at Vegan Mania, I entered a raffle for Arbonne and one, I think probably everyone won because uh, the the gift was like, oh, you get like free facials for you and three other people or but like you have to and you get free wine while you do it, but you have to go and sit through this whole information session about their sure. products. So needless to say, I never did it. But yeah. that is that is my uh, experience with MLMs. What about you? Well, first of all, I also love raffles and bingo, which I feel like is related to raffles. And so I will always insert my name to <laughs> any of them. So I feel like uh, I have never been a distributor at an MLM or an entrepreneur, but I have had so (laughs) many friends and family members and old acquaintances that have done MLMs. And by virtue of wanting to support them, I have sat through so many uncomfortable spiels and (laughs) tastings and makeup parties and Tupperware and jam berries, which are stick on nails. I have done so many of those. Wait, so are Tupperware parties still a thing? Because I remember hearing rumors 
about this as a child, right? Mm-hmm. That like this is something people do. I have never once experienced one, at least to my memory, because you could just buy Tupperware at the store. This is what I don't get. <laughs> you know, I might have just used that term without completely knowing what it is, because Tupperware party isn't there. Aren't there like two ways you could go to one? One's where you bring food and Tupperware and you switch it around with people, which is kind of like a potluck. But then there's also one where you buy Tupperware or kitchen goods. I think we're referring to the second one, but yeah. I just want to say that the Tupperware party might be, mean something else. Anyways, yes, that thing that I went to, it was a virtual event and they sold more than Tupperware. It was more like kitchen goods. And I should remember the name of what it was called, but you know, it was a friend of a friend who was throwing this online party. This was, you know, five to seven years ago. And so we ended up not going to the online party, but we just bought, we actually still have it. It's a rotating container where we put all of our big spoons and stuff in our kitchen. (laughs) So (laughs) I just want to be supportive of these people. And and by these people, I mean my friends and family. (laughs) And I feel like part of their, I don't know, they want to make this work for them and I want to help them. But ultimately, they all stop selling whatever they're selling because MLMs, the vast majority of the time, don't work. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Too long. Don't read. That's our conclusion. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I just want to backtrack for a second because you said this was five to seven years ago. Presumably, you were in Chicago at the time. I was. And also in your mid-20s, which is like not a time when most people have like tons of money to spend (laughs) on shit like a... A rotating spoon container. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't think about how I described it, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think it was at least like 30 bucks, which was definitely more money than we had to spend probably at that time. I'm just making sure I have the details right. I think because when I think of MLMs, I think of middle-aged women, and not uh, maybe not quite middle-aged, but like definitely like women who are not in their 20s. I think mm-hmm. like 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, maybe have some kids are trying to figure out a way to work and raise their kids at the same time. So that's the image I have, especially with Tupperware. I'm like, I mean, I of course needed to store food in my 20s, but like I didn't need like fancy ass Tupperware, right? <laughs> I couldn't no, afford it either. Sure. And we didn't make a whole lot of food. I guess mean, we did make food in our 20s, but it wasn't food that kept very well. It was like, I don't know. <laughs> we were just poor and just like hand to mouth with our food. I know that's not how that term is usually used, but that's what it was. <laughs> I mentioned jam berries earlier, which are really cool, like nail decals, but they're super just kitschy. You don't need this stuff. Ultimately, it's like a point you said earlier, Jesse, you don't feel bad not buying things you don't want or need. We didn't need any of this stuff. And it's not like we bought a ton of it, but I would always feel guilty and feel compelled to buy at least one thing. I wonder if MLMs would have served a different purpose in our life or maybe not MLMs, but just like these like party type ways of selling things. If it was just like, come get health insurance, come get something you actually really need. (laughs) It's really funny you mentioned that, Jesse. I didn't put this on our outline, but one of our friends was selling like disability insurance (laughs) and he went door to door and he got into my apartment and this was like in the past three years he was our friend we had played games with him forever and ever and he had a really hard time finding a job he finally got set up with this company whose name is escaping me anyways they were selling insurance we basically ended up saying yes to him doing a demo because he was an actor friend and he just said like hey i really need to practice my spiel i'm not going to sell you anything but can i have an audience and so we said yes after we played a board game he gave us the spiel it was terribly terribly awkward 
And at the end, <laughs> yes, he did try to sell us. We did say no to that. Are you still friends with this person? Not really. I was never really super close with him anyways. He was more like a in the friend group who would play board games. Wow. Yeah, that would be very uncomfortable. And also, yeah. Shall we get into it? Shall we discuss <laughs> yeah. what yes. MLMs actually are? So according to the Federal Trade Commission, MLM companies sell their products or services through person-to-person sales. So basically, if you end up being a distributor or a consultant for one of these company companies, you're selling directly to other people, likely from your home, or you go into your friends' homes, or you do online parties. Are, so are online parties new because of the pandemic, or did those predate COVID? Not being an authority... But having some experience, (laughs) my feeling is that they have been around for a while. Um, Since social media has kind of changed business in general, I feel like that's affected MLMs. That makes sense. Okay, I buy that. I did want to try to give us some definitions about MLMs versus pyramid scheme versus Ponzi scheme, which are three distinct things. And I had no idea. I've used them interchangeably my entire life. Please describe. So MLMs, what we are largely talking about today is this idea that you are a person, you're a consultant for this bigger company, you generally buy a set of inventory, whatever that may be, and then you sell that inventory to people. So you are selling an item and getting money for that item. What gets tricky is that you are also, as part of that role, recruiting other people to be distributors as well. And oftentimes you will get an extra commission or bonus based on how many people you recruit to be your downline sellers. So that's MLM, and that is a legal business model in the United States. Comparing that to a pyramid scheme, a pyramid scheme doesn't generally have any kind of product that you're selling. You get paid solely based on recruiting new people to be down the line from you. Those are illegal. Then finally, the Ponzi scheme is very similar to the pyramid scheme, but you're really focusing on financial investments. So like if you give $5,000, it's like you're purchasing entrance fee to invest in whatever this is. You are also trying to get other people to invest their $5,000, but whenever it comes time for you to withdraw your money, you only get money from the other people who've put in their $5,000 fee. So you said with a pyramid scheme, you aren't selling a product. Could you give an example of that? Well, I can't right now with a specific company (laughs) (laughs) and I think this is like the hard part right because sometimes MLMs that might have some sort of product but maybe it's defunct or whatever the ratio of selling something to recruitment gets out of whack and then MLMs get in trouble. So there's certain gray area. Does that make sense? Because I think like Nexium might fit in that category. Like they have this guise of self-improvement, self-help classes, whatever, but maybe the emphasis was way more on recruitment. And so that's, I think, why Nexium got in trouble also because of abuse and stuff like that. It makes me think about OneCoin, which I listened to a whole podcast series about, which is a cryptocurrency similar to Bitcoin that was sold but was definitely just a pyramid scheme. Like there was Mm -hmm. no, I forget, like I don't know the ins and outs of fucking cryptocurrency, nor do I care. But yeah, um, we don't have time for that shit. (laughs) No, we don't. But like there's a way that you like validate the worth of your cryptocurrency. And basically they didn't have any of those things in place. Like they were just making up a bunch of shit, encouraging about like recruiting a bunch of people to invest their money in it. So that like one, you know, one person or a few people at the top 
could make a ton of money off of their investors and then just like took that money and split. I think that might qualify as a pyramid scheme. Yeah, no, I'll go along with that. What I wanted to emphasize though is that your workforce in MLMs are not salaried, like a typical Mm. job, right? So like you only make money based on the products you sell, like it's all commission-based or all commission-based based on the number of people that you recruit, right? which I have a lot of feelings about, but especially as we compare MLMs to the gig economy, and, uh, you know, the virtues of capitalism, but deep cut virtues of capitalism. <laughs> I think there's a we have a general understanding of what MLMs are. For me, it's also interesting to talk about how big this industry actually is and the key players who are participating in it. Did you want to touch on some of those? Yes, definitely. Keely. Totally. Absolutely. So I pulled some data about the size and scope of multi-level marketing. I want to follow that up with schemes, but I guess like they're not always schemes, although I guess they're kind of always schemes. So in 2019, MLMs produced $35.2 billion in sales. 36% of that was for wellness products, which I don't have better information for what quote unquote wellness products are, but I'm sure you can draw some conclusions on your own. When it comes to customers, so people who buy products from MLMs, about, uh, well, there were 36.9 million plus customers. 74% of them were women. This is from 2019 still. 83% were white. And about 50% of those customers were between 35 and 54 years old. So that kind of fits into my uh, stereotyping of people who participate in MLMs or who buy from them, like house moms uh, in the suburbs who are like selling makeup to one another. Like that is the image that this elicits for me. And I guess these statistics kind of confirm that. Well, one thing that just occurred to me is that these demographics kind of also overlap with one of our other episodes on cougars. Oh my god, you're right. I thought you were going to say water parks. People don't go to water parks. But um, you're right. I don't know how a water park MLM would work now that we're talking about water (laughs) parks, but we can think about that later. But yeah, this group of people overlaps with cougars in some way. Cougars love MLMs. If you remember nothing else from this episode, please remember (laughs) that cougars love MLMs. Well, it also overlaps because I feel like the upkeep or the um, youngness maybe maybe cougars try to hold on to has an overlap with this wellness culture. Well, I think we could do a whole episode on wellness culture and (laughs) the pseudoscience of it. Yeah, you're right. Um, right. I think you're onto something there, though. Like, stay young, buy doTERRA. Buy doTERRA (laughs) and drink essential oils. They'll be really good for you. Okay, so MLMs employed 6.8 million direct sellers in 2019, Only 0.9 million of those were full-time sellers and 5.9 million were part-time. So this also confirms my stereotype that like people are doing this as a gig or a side hustle. Maybe they have other jobs or maybe they just have other responsibilities that they're beholden to. And so they don't do this full-time. It's like a after hours or on the weekends sort of pursuit. AARP estimated that about 73% of sellers 
either don't make or they lose money mm-hmm. as uh, sellers of, yeah, as participants in MLMs. The FTC estimates that this could be as much as 99%. Right. Well, and that statistic from AARP is saying 73% of sellers do not make or lose money, but that's not including the folks that make an annual of like $200, <laughs> you know, that don't make a substantial amount. So it's so unlikely that when you take part in an MLM that you are going to make a living. <laughs> that's such a good point. Like, so you could make money and it could be like $5. Yeah. Like you just didn't break even or lose money. Yeah. No, and they do have averages out there for these different companies of what people make. One was like 67%. I think it was Young Living of folks make an average of $4 a year because they put so much into their inventory. And I think it was um, Rodan and Fields. It was around like $200 a year, the majority of folks. So it's just such a scheme. And it seems like you and I might have different groups of friends because I seem to have more friends and family who are taking part in MLMs still and more than you or maybe you've just done a better job with creating your boundaries so they know not to come to you (laughs) I don't know I don't think that I know many people who are involved with MLMs I think like a few tangentially but that's Mm -hmm. really it this data that you pulled is really current it's from 2019 but 2019 was a very different year than 2020 and I feel like MLMs reportedly in the past recessions and during hard times actually do more sales and actually get more people to be part of them as consultants because when people lose their jobs, they're looking for a new opportunity. And that's why MLMs do well during recessions and times of trial, Um, hashtag 2020. And so I'm interested to see how these numbers have panned out in the past nine to 12 months. That is a really good point. And I'd be curious to see those statistics too, because there are so many folks who are unemployed right now and Mm -hmm. or just like feel unsafe going to work and so that's definitely boosted the gig economy although the gig economy is very unsafe I have feelings and it would make sense that that would translate to MLMs as well so I really really want to talk about the differences and similarities between the gig economy and MLMs Mm -hmm. because my thought was like oh shit yeah like women in the 50s selling Tupperware to each other in their homes is like the Uber and Lyft of today (laughs) yeah oh okay okay please weigh in on these and tell me if you think these are wrong yeah here are the things that to me, gig economy and MLMs have in common. You determine your own schedule and workload. If you don't work, you don't get paid. So you don't have benefits. You don't have sick time or paid time off. It's just like hustle, hustle, hustle. And that's the only way you make money. The benefit of that is like, you don't have to work Monday through Friday if you don't want to. But essentially, if you don't work, you don't get paid for like needing time off to take care of yourself or something like that. They both appeal to underemployed groups. So um, maybe like uh, folks who are raising children and don't have time for a full-time job or a struggle to find full-time work because of the qualifications needed. I think about like people with disabilities who mm-hmm. um, a lot of like the workforce is inaccessible to them because we do terrible with supporting people with disabilities <laughs> in our economy and society in general. Right. Or just, you know, like people who already have a job but don't make enough money and need a job that has really flexible hours so that they can do that work on the side. I also think that the thing that these two have in common is that (laughs) their employees get paid way less than they're advertised. Like I'm thinking about all the times when um, I like logged into the Lyft app where it's just like become a Lyft driver, earn $600 a day or however much it promises. And I highly, highly doubt 
that that many people are making that much money off of Lyft or as Lyft drivers. One, because like, sure, like if you pick up every single ride possible, there are a million Lyft drivers. So like you probably won't get every ride that you need necessarily because there's competition or um, you're losing money depending on like how far or how close by or uh, like you're driving somebody or how that person tips or you're not like working a thousand hours a day, right? Like maybe you could make really good money if 20 out of 24 hours you were driving Lyft, but that just isn't the case. And then you have to take out, you know, the money you spend in your car, your gas Mm -hmm. money, your insurance, I don't know, like accidents that could happen or cleaning that you'll need to do with your car. Like there's just like so many things that are in the subtext that I feel like actually make you lose money or like make the industry less profitable than it advertises is itself to Lots be. of overhead. <laughs> Lots of overhead. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Really quickly, can you give me a definition of the gig economy? I think of the gig economy as basically not having full-time employment, but having a bunch of side jobs that are relatively easy to enter into, or like industries that don't require a lot of upfront training or credentials that allow you to work as needed, but don't really provide you with a living wage. So examples of that, like Lyft and Uber, also WAG, Mm -hmm. um, having like dog walkers and cat sitters comes to mind. Um, Grubhub delivery drivers. Can you think of any other examples? Yeah, all of those make sense to me. What I keep having a mental block on is the artists in my life and the actors and how they fit into this equation. A lot of the folks that I know who fit into that artist category, they have a lot of side hustles because their artistry doesn't pay their bills. Mm -hmm. But I'm also stuck on this idea that artists, etc., are part of the gig economy. They get contracted to do pieces here and there. So would you say an artist, like my husband, who gets contracted to do maps, is that part of the gig economy? I would say yes. I would too. With that understanding of what we're defining the gig economy as, as well as MLMs, I think a big similarity is that people that are in those roles, whether it's artists or MLMs, there's a sense of wanting to strike out on their own this desire to do their own thing, which oftentimes doesn't fit into the traditional 40-hour-a-week business structure. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And that leads me to think about the differences between the gig economy and MLMs. Because I think like with some gigs, like you said, uh, like with uh, your husband being contracted to make maps, or we know a lot of dance instructors and like photographers and stuff like that. And so I think that people who participate in the gig economy in that way have uh, some flexibility to create their own content and aren't guided by like the values of an MLM. So I think of MLMs as being like very much rooted in this ideology of like, this is the product we sell. This is how you talk about the product. You don't have any creativity in the process. Like you're literally just parroting language that we give to you and you have to express a lot of loyalty to the brand. So there's not room for you to like have your own ideas. I think with MLMs too, you have to purchase, like you mentioned having to buy your own inventory, but I feel like you have to purchase those products and be loyal to those products yourself too. So like if it's makeup, you know, if somebody, if you're trying to sell makeup to people and you're not wearing that makeup yourself, Mm -hmm. that's going to put a strain on like you being able to recruit other people. So you really have to have brand loyalty and be like, I only wear Mary Kay or Avon mascara. Avon. I haven't thought of the (laughs) name Avon in so long. That is such part of my childhood. (laughs) 
My aunt still gives my mom Avon the special lotion. God. The other thing is that gig jobs don't require you to recruit your own customers necessarily. Like if it's a business that you're running or like you're out on your own, you uh, probably will. Like if you're like a wedding photographer, you need to find clients to work for, but you don't need to like recruit people who are going to do the same work as you. And a lot of times the client base is already established for you. So with like something that has an app like Uber or Lyft, the customers are already there. You don't need to like find them and convince people of the value of having a ride somewhere. It's already established. With MLMs, that feels different. Like you really do have to be a salesperson to your friends and family to be like, look at how great this thing is. I want you all to either buy products from me or also join me in selling these to other people. So if we were going to like MLMify, like Lyft or Uber, it wouldn't just be these drivers driving people, the drivers would be training other drivers to drive more people. It's funny because to some extent, maybe they do do that. They're like, yeah, I drive Lyft. I have whatever. I work my hours. But I don't think that that's like an expectation. Right. Like if they get a massive bonus for recruiting more drivers. Yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of people who drive Uber and Lyft who don't give a shit about Uber and Lyft. Right. But I think with MLMs, you like really have to be sold yourself on the thing that you're Mm -hmm. doing. And that's where that cultishness really comes into it for me. (laughs) There's a long list of criteria that people can use to help identify a cult. One of them that I think really speaks to the culture of MLMs is the idea that members of an MLM don't have, they don't have tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. So this kind of speaks to the loyalty that you mentioned earlier. So folks that are maybe selling, you know, young living oils, they take a lot of pseudoscience about waves in the world and have to find the right right vibration of your body and then get the oil that matches with that vibration. So there's like the pseudoscience that is supported and the people that are part of that MLN are not, are certainly not encouraged to critically think about the things that they're reading and then telling their future customers or future consultants that they're trying to get on board. Do you agree with that assessment? It's okay. So I think that it also harks back to the authoritarianism uh, without accountability. That's part of cults because agreed. you can just make up your own self-help rules or science rules of like how this is how you keep yourself well. And it's really not rooted in anything. And like you said, you're not supposed to question it. Well, if it really works, then it should be able to withstand absolute scrutiny. Speaking of like authoritarian leaders, that makes me think of like the charismatic leaders and people in cults are really supposed to think that their cult leader is is always right. And uh, this really, not to harp too much on Young Living, but it's the one (laughs) that's been most in my life recently because I have two family members that take part in Young Living. Anyways, their founder, uh, Gary Young, he lied about having a medical, medical degree. He practiced medicine without the degree. He has a long list of mishaps, including the death of one of his children because he wanted to have a water birth, like a, a certain kind of water birth. The child died. A long list of really shady stuff. This is well known, well publicized, yet Young Living has such a big following. And I, I don't know, it's hard for me not to question the origination of a company when it's led by this kind of person. And 
or was, I think he's dead now. Citation needed about whether or not he's dead. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, not me. No <laughs> one should care about it. But I think that is very culty. I don't know like how much this is rooted in truth, but like that whole image of like that sexy woman who's really done it for herself, driving that convertible, that Ooh. being the charismatic leader is that self-made person who's yeah. been successful through the MLM. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Jesse, of like the successful players that are really high up on that ladder and they're used as a model for what you can do if you take part in this MLM. And I'm not opposed to role models in general, but I think in MLMs, when people don't get that kind of success that they're seeing, the MLM's model isn't blamed, that person is blamed for their lacking success. And I think that is really problematic for a variety of reasons, but also resembles cults when people, you know, aren't finding spiritual awakening, they're blamed. It's not that they're following maybe a fake religion, they're blamed for their actions. And that's similar. It's very much your personal failure or your personal work ethic, which overlaps so wonderfully with capitalism. You really have to pull yourself up on your bootstraps and participating in MLM and making it that way, like you're really fulfilling that American dream. To add a Christian tint to that, this really <laughs> well aligns with prosperity gospel. Tell me more. So Prosperity gospel is this whole like Christian idea that if you work hard, you pray hard, you will be blessed and you get money. And so it's kind of like this weird take on Christianity because Christianity, right? They support this idea that what is it? A rich man is more likely to go through the eye of a needle than he is to get into the kingdom of God or something like that. Christians based on the Bible really don't like wealth, but there's this whole like subset of Christians who, you know, really think that wealth is okay and find a way to justify it. And I think that's part of prosperity gospel. You should probably read more on that because I did not describe that very well and I'm probably being insensitive, but I think... <laughs> I think this whole podcast this... is insensitive. I know, yeah, we should probably... If we, Yeah, we should work on those. But anyways, the other thing I wanted to say, Jesse, an identifier of cults is that people who leave once they are gone, they talk about a lot of abuses or um, just shady behavior. And similar to cults, I feel like a lot of people who have been consultants for MLMs or just customers in general have reported a lot of claims against these companies for selling bad stuff or just being shady. Oh, definitely. There's tons of receipts for people who've been fucked over by MLMs. Yeah. And that is like, like it takes so little effort to just like look up any MLM that you're interested in and find something horrible about it. Like it takes no effort at all. Which leads into what we like to call our recent news and current controversies section. Yes. Because I think most MLMs have been sued at some point. Oh, God. In light of COVID, too, the number of warnings FTC has had to send out to MLMs <laughs> for, for supporting this idea that their product kills the virus or builds your immune system so you won't get the virus. Several. Several. They're so predatory. I know I'm going off on a tangent, but... It just fits perfectly into the pandemic response as a whole yeah. in this country, too, because it's like people just decide whatever the fuck they want about the pandemic. Like, they're like, I don't need to wear a mask. I can go see my families. I'm not going to die from COVID. Like, none of this matters. We need to save the economy or we need to do this and that. And it's just, like, so subjective. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anti-scientific information it's just one unconscionable and two like so obviously 
exploitative and manipulative, but still here we are talking about it because it continues to happen. It continues to happen and it's such like a product of capitalism in my opinion and it almost feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Capitalism is really hard on people and people are struggling so people are desperate and they're looking for an answer so they turn away from science they turn away from whatever and they end up in an MLM and it just perpetuates the cycle Capitalism is shit. There are a ton of these MLMs, they are predatory, they are exploitative, they are getting kind of in trouble but again and at the end of the day, the United States cares more about money than people. So I think they're going to continue to exist for a long, long time. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I just want to highlight two other things that you had written in our notes about LuLaRoe. There's been a billion dollar lawsuit against them. And you brought up Nexium earlier. And mm-hmm. that's considered an MLM for professional <laughs> development. Something else that just came to my mind, Jesse, we're talking about Nexium, right? Mm-hmm. And they sell the professional development, but they also have a spiritual element, but they aren't trying to be a church. And I think this might be a fun comparison between them and Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) The Church of Scientology is obviously an MLM, right? It's it's clearly an MLM, but it's a church. (laughs) But can you tell me how Christianity is in an MLM? You're not requiring funds, but you are asking for a tithe. So people give donations and your goal, a goal of Christianity is to spread the word. So you're trying to bring more people in. Apply that to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. (laughs) Like they go on mission trips. Like that is the whole thing is recruiting other people to be part of their religion. Like that is such a huge piece of their beliefs. Religion, the original gig economy (laughs) slash slash beer mid scheme. (laughs) That is the hottest of takes. And it's... (laughs) We didn't expect to go there, but we did. We didn't. This is what we get for not really being prepared, but I kind of like the uh, the uh, what off the cuffness. Okay, so like our next point on here too is about female empowerment yeah. and like the manipulation of vulnerable and low income people to be. Mm-hmm part of MLMs. And I would say that that's also true for Christianity and religion in general. You know what'll save Mm -hmm. you? It's Jesus Christ. Man, so are both MLMs and religion just a result of human desperation? I think that they might be. And that is depressing. Religion predates capitalism. (laughs) This very shitty timeline I'm introducing right now. But has had a profound influence on like our values, our value systems in this country and like who we think is like deserving and who is undeserving. And like you said, talking about prosperity, I know that they're not the same thing, but in this moment, they feel so similar. It's so tangled. And I guess I just have have sympathy for these folks that fall into MLMs. But I get it. I think that at different parts of my life, I could see how I could have participated in one. Did you want to talk, Jesse, about some of the uh, MLM horror stories? Or do you think we've covered enough so far? Okay, so this is like totally tangential, but... Every once in a while, and I think currently like probably once a week is what I mean, something horrifying happens and I'm like, man, I wonder why they never incorporated this into the Saw movies, right? Because there's like 10 of them and they're supposed to be like, in order to escape, you need to stab this person and remove a key from their heart. Why wasn't there like a Saw movie about like, in order to pay your rent and eat food this week, you need to sell people a bunch of us 
essential oils that they will drink and poison themselves. Uh, I mean, there's still time, Jesse. <laughs> Who knows what kind of scary movies we're going to have in the next five years as a result to this hellscape of a pandemic. And I feel like there has to be one that focuses on on focuses on all the pseudoscience that's come out. I know that there are only like four people who listen to this podcast, but I'm really <laughs> hoping some movie producers randomly tune in and we that's market this idea. <laughs> Maybe we should just write a screenplay and just start sending it out to people. I think that'd be really a good use of our time. And I think we're going to put in just a little bit of effort and have exponential <laughs> rewards. And we'll have all this time with our families and we're going to live happily ever after and fulfill the American dream. You are 100% correct. And on that note, this is a great way to ruin a family dinner. It's to write a screenplay for a theoretical Saw movie and then share it with your family members. No, I think that's going to go over really well, actually. Make them act it out. You'll do a live reading while you eat your fucking spaghetti. And this is so perfect for me because my husband looks like Carrie Ewells. And so, he does. And he's an actor, so this is going to go so well. Um, maybe I'll just record it secretly. Does he? I mean, he dies in the first one. Spoiler alert, though, right? He does. I mean, yeah, he sorry, saws off his foot, but, like, doesn't... Oh, wait, or is that the other guy? Who cares? I, I feel like I have a recollection of Carrie Ewell sawing off his foot, but it could have been someone else. Something horrifying happens, <laughs> and my understanding is that he dies, but he's also a bad guy, I think as well well they all are that is the point yeah i guess you're right but maybe i felt particularly upset because i've always had a soft spot for carrie yule since the princess bride yeah i mean he is also a bad guy in the movie twister which is my favorite movie oh so. you're but he's like comically bad though he's in it for the money and not the science like fucking mlms okay, <laughs> okay. carrie yule's <laughs> the 90 version of mlms <laughs> Per the movie he, Twister. He dies, though, so... Oh, wow, he dies in that movie, too. He also, to be fair, dies in Princess Bride. They just bring him back. Well, shit. Okay, so family <laughs> dinners. Talk about Carrie Yule's dying over and over. You'll ruin them. But I think also, and this one hasn't necessarily happened to me, but I've thought about it happening, given how many folks I know participate in MLMs, is, like, ruining a family dinner by telling them no in a very blunt way at the family dinner table. I think that that would definitely ruin the family dinner. But to be fair, trying to sell your family and friends uh, a bunch of useless shit would also ruin dinner for me. So like it's a chicken and the egg situation. Like who ruined it first? Right. Like who takes responsibility (laughs) for that ruined dinner? Yeah, I don't know. All I can control is me and I'm not going to sell anything. So I was trying to think about how can I say no? And that actually made me go on this rabbit trail of like how to say no. There are plenty of articles on how to tell your friends and family (laughs) no to MLMs. And they just said you have to have really stern boundaries. And you can't just say like, oh, now is not a good time or, oh, I can't really afford it or um, whatever, insert whatever excuse because they are trained to work around those excuses and make those excuses into yeses. So I hate that so much. I think then what you have to do is tell them that MLMs are cults and they're being exploited. Period. End of story. (laughs) They'll never talk to you again. (laughs) 
So you ruined the dinner and your relationships. But that, I mean, like, I think that MLMs ruin a lot of people's relationships. So in the horror stories that I was reading, a lot of them were like, this person put all this pressure on me or I did this to another person. Like, it really puts a strain on your relationships. And so I think that a lot of families and friendships in general are ruined by MLMs. I could totally see that. And it also, for me, I've had a lot of, like, past acquaintances that I haven't talked to since college. So, you know, over a decade ago, who reach out and they're like, oh, hey, I think you'd be really interested in this or you'd be really good, blah, 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 blah. I don't really feel like that ruined a relationship because I didn't have one with them, but I'm never going to separate that ask of me from them in future opportunities to build a friendship. Yeah, you're never really going to be friends with them now. Line in the sand. Um, Also, I think another way to ruin your family dinner is by telling them that they're not going to make any money, uh, (laughs) that they've been duped essentially right that they're they're chaotic leader they're (laughs) what am I trying to say they're leader they're uh, charismatic leader (laughs) chaotic (laughs) chaotic evil leader yes okay your charismatic leader is lying to you nobody likes to hear that but I mean that sucks but maybe the best route I can't Jesse are we getting to the point that like the answer to MLMs is to basically have interventions like you would with (laughs) someone in a cult I I can't remember what we talked about in our cult episode episode, but I don't know how effective interventions are. But essentially, Mm -hmm. I would agree with you because there's got to be like some, like, I guess maybe not an intervention in the traditional sense, but like some way of intervening, right? Like you have to help them escape the call. When you're using the term intervention, are you thinking like a really serious sit down of like ultimatums? Because I feel like there's like my idea of an intervention versus like a caring conversation that happens over a series of sit downs. I don't know. Is there a distinction there or not so much? Yeah, no, you make a great point because I'm thinking of it in this like very intense sense of like everyone in your life is going to sit you down in a room and totally blindside Mm. you so that you like stop using heroin and I don't think that that's always effective. (laughs) So maybe instead of using that model of intervention it's more like having a caring but honest conversation and maybe it's like how we would advocate that uh you show up for people who are in abusive relationships albeit this is different like showing some level of accountability but continuing to show up in their life so that you're there when they fail they lose all their money they've asked all of their friends to buy this shitty product and then maybe they've made money or they've lost money because they've been recruited into the scheme and put so much pressure on all their relationships like you're still there to help them exit that toxic relationship no that makes sense so on that note what are your recommendations I think that overall and we've used this recommendation in the past I think it's just do your research if something sounds too good to be true it probably is and if you do your research before joining an MLM as a consultant or buying a product you probably won't fall for it because the research lawsuits, the information is likely out there. So do your research and don't join. Uh, You had said earlier that you've purchased things Mm -hmm. from friends because you really wanted to support them. And ultimately, like, if you want to support your friends, like, just send them some money. Yeah. That's what they need. Just send them money. Like, you don't need to get something in exchange. If somebody is, like, struggling, like, just help them. Make them dinner. Because... 
they're not getting most of that money anyways. Right, like, exactly. Like just like mm-hmm. help them pay their rent or whatever it is they need because that's going to have such a greater impact than buying their Tupperware. Or buying seaweed wraps to remove your cellulite. Yeah. Fucking cellulite. Am I right? <laughs> it's the end of the world. No one can have cellulite. It's so gross. Don't buy into it. Don't be a boss babe with an MLM. Talk to your friends. Don't buy their shit and be supportive because people are drawn to MLMs because they might be a little bit desperate.